You're tuned in to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. The following podcast is designed to provoke thought, spark dialogue, educate, and entertain. The perspectives and language may trigger a range of emotions from laughter to angst and possibly anger. We welcome your feedback and thank you for listening. Mm, mm, mm. <sighs> America has finally collapsed. It has gone to hell in a handbasket. The powerful oligarchy who controls the water gas, and food growth has driven the prices of fresh water so high that people are getting robbed and killed over Aquafina's. The popular drug is pyro and it's turning its addicts into pyromaniacs. And they're just not setting property on fire, but other people and themselves. Starvation has become so severe that it has birthed a whole new culture of cannibalism. And education has lost its relevancy to the point that the entire educational system has been eradicated, making reading so rare that literacy has become a highly marketable skill. In the midst of all this pandemonium and destruction, America's only hope for survival lies in the hands of an 18-year-old visionary black girl. Lauren Orlamina was raised in a loving, educated environment and was taught the Bible, principles, and survival skills by her pastor and professor father and by her stepmother, who was also an educator. Lauren, through observations and her own interpretation, has reinvented the meaning of God and located his relevance to stay grounded in the midst of the chaos in what America has become. The Bruz Bookshelf presents to you Octavia Butler's 1993 acclaimed novel, Parable of the Soul. Give it up. Welcome to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf with your host, Lennon Givens. I'm joined with my wife, Dr. Teresa Givens. Hello. Hey, I got my line brother, as always, joining me, the Deuce Dog off the Fall 2001 line, Upsilon, Side Fam, you, Donovan Happy Snipe. New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope everyone who made it over is doing well. Those of you who aren't doing well, I hope you are healing. And yeah, let's... Let's try to look forward to another day. Okay. And then, you know, we also have joining us the silky baritone voice of Dr. Harvey Hinton III. What's up, Harvey? <laughs> <laughs> 2022. Yeah, man. It's the first podcast of 2022. 
I like Donovan's blessings, man. 2022. Yeah. Healing. That's what's up, Donovan. Donovan, what made you choose this book? I wanted to do something. I wanted to do some some science fiction or something fantasy. Um, I like the books that we've done so far, but they've all been a little too, I don't know, based based in this dimension. So I kind of wanted to go someplace else. I went with, Oct- with her. Um, I've been he- hearing some things about her, um, Octavia Butler. And I'm a futurist myself. I'm the category of futurist. And she's like one of the, um, I guess, one of the pioneering black futurists, if you want to call it, um, or futurist who is who is black, however you want to categorize it. And I heard some things about this book and how it kind of like reflects our times, which a lot of books about the future usually reflect your time because all stories about the future are true. Um, especially the 80s and 90s movies and stories. So, um, you know, I, I kind of just checked a piece of it out and that's how we got here. And I'm glad I picked it. I really enjoyed the book, Donovan. And I think uh, telling the future from a black perspective, mm-hmm. I think is a very honest perspective, of a very honest grassroots perspective on how things could be in the why. Yeah. Did you enjoy the book, Teresa? Yes, I did. What I'm ready like to get to it? it. What did I like most about the book? I don't know what I like most. I enjoyed the story. And of course, I listened to it in regular time, like I always do. Like I encourage you all to do that you never do. But I did like the way the story was being told and I enjoyed getting, and I think I say this every time, I enjoy getting lost in, in the story and just listening. I don't think that I saw it as a black story because it was a lot of different people, but it was told from the perspective of an African-American coming to age story in the future in the apocalypse the reason why I said it was a black story is because it was honest. Um, uh, what does... Uh, never mind. <laughs> Go ahead. Continue. Continue. Continue with that thought. Let's hear more. Let's hear more. Because I think black people have an honest assessment of America. And we don't see America through rosy eyes. We see it for what it really is. So when she predicted the future of America and and how it could be from uh, drugs and climate change. Mm-hmm. She told a very honest and real story without making America seem like nothing other than what, what it really was. Just very raw. But that doesn't have anything to do with the perspective. It was a story for everyone, and everybody with her was not black. She also included a little bit of sharecropping in it. She included a little bit of slavery in it. So she put a lot of African-American history into the future. She did uh, peonage, um, debts, um, what it was? Debtors' prisons. Uh, debts, debt slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she kind of like bought all that Jim Crow stuff in there too. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, but like in a in a um in a desegregated way, like everybody can get a piece of this though. 
or everybody can get it. Yeah, everybody. not just blacks, Hispanics, all of you people. <laughs> well, let's know, let's well let's think about it in this perspective. This is it's what we say a lot, and the way that I tend to view the world is more in a class system than in a race system. And this was about class and not being able to have enough. In America, you always think, oh, if I get this, if I reach this status, if I have this, then I will be okay. And this book shows you that you may have thought you reached a particular point in your life, but you can still get this poverty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when you talk about class, it says a different, to me at least, you know, um, class not necessarily meaning wealth and material things, but in the ability to protect yourself because violence is real. But it did still have to do with money a great deal, but it also kind of put a spotlight on what America is too, because there's a big difference between Sam Walton money and doctor money. Yeah. Yeah. It did a good job in, in separating the middle class from the upper class. And, and that chasm got really big in this story. And for the listeners, it's a story about the falling of American economy and global warming, where people were living in wall communities where they had to separate themselves from the people on the outside. And the world was plagued with addicts who were addicted to this drug called, uh, was it a pyro. Pi- pirate? Who was on that pyro? Pyro. And this pyro drug make you want to burn things and it burn just makes shit. you into a zombie form. And you couldn't leave outside your wall communities without Fire guns because you can sex. get raped, killed, robbed, anything. So it was just pure pandemonium. It was almost like Mad Max. Uh, Mad Max out there. But um, back to what the I was saying. Dome. She kind of... And then so the, the story is a coming of age story of Lauren Oya Olamina. She's uh, a 15-year-old black girl living in Los Angeles in the time area. Well, actually in 2024. The book was written in 1993. So it was a futuristic story. And she is the daughter of a father who is a Baptist preacher. And he also teaches at a nearby college. She has four younger brothers who are sons of her father and her stepmother, Corey, who is a Spanish woman, and she teaches Spanish. She teaches everything. Yeah, she runs a neighborhood school. And her father teaches the people in the wall community um, survival skills on how to protect themselves. And she's seven when it starts. Yeah, she starts off at seven years old. It's a coming-of-age story from the perspective of a young girl written in the format of a diary entry where she's trying to locate God in the midst of chaos, change, and uncertainty. And she's trying to redefine 
God in the midst of all of that and give him a new definition, a new purpose. I think going to Donovan's point about it being, a, you know, a different dimension, it was written in, what, 84? Was it 90 or 84? 93. 93? Yeah, 1993. But it's projecting 2024, you know? And so, you know, I brought my daughter into the conversation. She's seven years old, and I'm asking her, like, can you imagine what the world's going to look like, you know, 40 years from now? You know, 30 years from now, where would you be? Because I don't know, the pandemic frightened me when it first happened in 2020. And I thought that the world was coming to an end. And I remember going outside, feeling like we're in a new land. And I was wondering how long order was going to maintain. In this world, order has lost itself. And so, you know, People are out here running the streets. You know, the dope fiends are really, really running the streets. And, you know, opportunities, economic and employment opportunities, are just not wonderful. And I saw a lot of parallels of where we are right now in terms of, like, how society is is, is on the verge of breaking. So, um, and I guess because she was black, I saw it as a black story, too. But um, I don't know. I, I think this was a great book, man. I, I appreciate this one, Donovan. And Teresa, I did listen to it at regular speed. Good. It's a nice story to get lost in. Likewise. And Donovan, you did do a great job with this one simply because when I looked at it, I was going, 2024, that's tomorrow. So <laughs> I was trying to feel like, eh, you know. But it isn't very far away from what we are And it's kind of scary when you think about it because it does have a lot of parallels to the pandemic and what the pandemic has done to the way that we live. I mean, you can turn on the news. People are fighting on airplanes. You know, when did did that start? Um, (laughs) You know, flying used to be, you know, only the elite used to fly at one point. So things change. And as they change, they seem to get worse. And I start to see how out of order out of control we can really get and the parallels that we've mentioned seem like they're right around the corner well i think that's just the um that's the theme of earth seed though right because god has changed everything is always changing so it's not that things are falling apart things are just reforming things are just changing into what it's changing into and the whole I guess the whole philosophy behind Earthseed is like if you don't put intentionality behind it, it'll change into something that you can't control or something that'll be chaotic or dangerous or whatever. Um, definitely negative. So um, she does a really good job of painting, I think, painting a story. I like that she starts kind of from like a like an adolescent and how it goes into her adulthood because that's kind of like the time where you are – you're kind of questioning reality more, questioning everything around you a little bit more in a little bit uh, in a in a a more sophisticated way than like your earlier years. So that's why you kind of get that tension between parents and children because it's like I don't believe nothing you say because nothing you say applies to me. Like my world isn't this world that you are talking about. So I I can't pay attention to you. 
I gotta I gotta figure another way to figure out how to deal with my reality because mine isn't yours. Donovan, uh, to your point, she opens up the book with at least three years ago, my father's God stopped being my God. His church stopped being my church. And yet today, because I'm a coward, I let myself be initiated into that church. I let my father baptize me in all three names of that God who isn't mine anymore. I mean, that's very profound for a seven-year-old to say that. Mercy. And the reason why she's saying that, because the God that she grew up and the dad was preaching out of, out of the Old Testament, is no longer relevant to the times right now. Mm -hmm. Are you sure she's seven right there? Or do they jump? Because I thought that she may have been like 12 there and then it goes back again, but I'm not sure. I can't exactly remember, but my first point that really stuck out to me was when the book started. Cause I was going, what is she talking about? And they're talking about the stars. And so she's talking about the stars and her stepmother is talking to her about the stars and she has a perspective about seeing the stars and her stepmother is telling her she liked it so much better when she was in the big city and things were not calm and peaceful like they were off and it kind of portrayed something else and I was so confused as to what was going on until she was able to explain where we were, what time period it was. And then everything got interesting. And I think I just kept listening. I mean, it was, it was real interesting to me, Teresa, how the story is, is fiction. And, but when she steps into this earthy conversation and this critique of God, how she says that, you know, I don't want to be original with this. This is a compilation of things I've observed, read, seen, heard, what makes sense, what feels good. If you like it, accept it, add to it. Like that sounded so real in a now space that, you know, it it kind of it had the story that's happening, then that's this real concept, this real idea around change in your environment that's just it was very it was very um it was a good mental exercise to kind of go back and forth the book opens up with the earth seed when she said all that you touch you change all that you change changes you the only lasting truth is change god is change for her to write this at 15 years old that's one of the things that I noticed throughout the story, her level of precociousness and her level of um, emotional intelligence, how she thought about things before she said it, how she was calm when she was really mad. And at one, at one point she said she waited until she calmed down so she could say the right thing without offending somebody. She was, by the end of the book, she had only reached 18 years old. So hold right. on, hold on right there, hold on right there, hold on right there. Gotta, right yeah, you got to right explain there. why that, why she has that particular type of. Uh, that, that, that's that's the part about it that's intriguing. 
Okay, so again, we're talking about a fictional character. We're talking about a grown woman put this into a child's mind. Right. So this, ain't a real <laughs> this, this is just good character <laughs> development. That's very, 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 very nice but, of the author. But, also, but, but to the point, it's it's about awareness to your environment, and this child has learned from the environment that some shit's fucked up and she got to, it's her responsibility to navigate it. So being that it starts at seven and my daughter is seven, I'm very particular about how I introduce her to old shit. If you follow me, I want her to see what's happening without trying to put a bunch of force old shit on her to like sway her thinking. I want her to be able to see it clearly this girl's sense of urgency to what Lenny is talking about in the character's essence, a young child being this forward thinking, this assertive, this um, um, cautious and methodical and concerned about life. I challenge young people on that. I think that'd be a great opportunity to share this story with, with children of their age. And this is the world, the world has been fucked up. What are you going to do about it? But she also, you know, th- is doing this because, you know, number one in her character development, she has this hyper empathy, exactly. which means that Ooh. she feels. <laughs> yeah. So that comes into play with her maturity. She feels. That's some so mutant shit. The some mutant. Second thing <laughs> that happens is she does listen. And she has listened to her stepmother. She has listened to her father. And she does have those ways. She's only made it different. She's changed what she learned and adapted it to what is happening now. But she did use the past to propel her into the future. She learned it, though, to your point. Yeah, this that, her hyper-empathy is really kind of the thing, to your point, that made her kind of consider things a little bit more because she couldn't just act out. Like she can't, she couldn't just slap somebody in the face because she's upset because if she slaps somebody, she's going to feel it. If she punched somebody, she's going to feel it. It's a mutant somebody, disease. He's going to feel it. So like, but, but, it's, like it's, but it's, it's, it's a power we all have just in a lesser form. We just don't exercise. Or maybe, I, maybe the point of the story is we, since we don't have it, since we have like, Hypo empathy. Um, we have like the exact opposite. Like we kick him in the nuts, stomp him in the ball. Exactly. We become the society that becomes society that she lives in, one where we have to live in these walled off cities where people get excited by burning things down um and destroying things. Um, and that's kind of like what America has become. Like we've we get off on the fall of everybody around right. us. Social media. Destruction. <laughs> Filming instead of helping. So things are changing. Get your guns. In her concept, in her mind, <laughs> she grew up in a religious household. And she was uh, trying to apply the concept of God and make it applicable to what has changed and what the world has become. And I just want to read this. The idea of God is much on my mind these days. I've been paying attention to what other people believe, whether they believe, and if so, what kind of God they believe in. 
Key says God is just the adult's way of trying to scare you into doing things they want. He doesn't say it around dad, but he says it. He believes in what he sees. And no matter what's in front of him, he doesn't see much. I suppose dad would say that about me if he knew what I believe. Maybe he'll be right. But it wouldn't stop me from seeing what I see. A lot of people seem to believe in a big daddy God or a big cop God or a big king God. They believe in a kind of super person. A few believe God is another word for nature. And nature turns out to mean just about anything they happen not to understand or feel in control of. Some say God is a spirit, a force, an ultimate reality. Ask seven people what all that means and you will get seven different answers. So what is God? Just another name for whatever makes you special and protected? There's a big early season storm blowing itself off the Gulf of Mexico. It's bounced around the Gulf, killing people from Florida to Texas and down to Mexico. There are over 700 known dead so far. And how many people has it hurt? How many are going to starve later because of destroyed crops? That's nature. Is it God? Most of the dead are the street poor who have nowhere to go and who don't hear the warning until it's too late for their feet to take them to safety. Where's safety for them anyway? Is it a sin against God to be poor? We're almost poor ourselves. There are fewer and fewer jobs among us. More of us being born, more kids growing up with nothing to look forward to. One way or another, we'll all be poor someday. The adults say things will get better, but they never have. How will God, my father's God, behave towards us when we are poor? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about... So what does God think about the people in Ethiopia that you can feed for one cent a day? Does God love them people? <laughs> I used to always think about that when I was a kid. <laughs> Most people who thought them kind of questions at some point got looked at some kind of way, popped in the mouth, pinched, told get the hell on. <laughs> Don't you question it's this thing that's going on that doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not tying together. You better be thankful that it ain't your ass and go ahead on over here and mind your business. Exactly. I mean, well, I think it is exactly what this is. Right. And people create things to get through things, which is what she's doing. She's creating exactly. what she needs to get through what she is getting through. And I don't know who is to say what is right or wrong for any person or thing to get to where they need to get in the motivation that they need to move forward. And this seems to be the motto of this particular book from start to finish. Well, I mean, she, she's asking that question in a different type of way. I mean, it's not necessarily for her who's right or wrong, but her observation has caused her to challenge and reject certain things because, you know, she didn't see any value, any truth in it. And with her, um, earth seed, she doesn't, claim it to be you know again original but um i think that 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 passage that lenny just read again that's that's some deep to me at least you know theological questioning and um 
you know, I think um, those kind of questions bring you closer to God. Exactly. This reminds me so much of this book that I read by Yuval Noah Harari called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And basically, the book is told from a perspective of 30,000 feet down. So if somebody came to visit the planet and they was observing the planet and they was giving you the brief history of humankind, then this is what they would do. And it was broken down into three revolutions. You had the cognitive revolution, you had the agricultural revolution, and then you had the scientific revolution. So basically in the cognitive revolution, people were hunters and gatherers and they moved around the planet and they just moved together in groups and whatever you had, everybody else had, everybody was sharing. It was as a one big community. So if you needed meat or you needed something and I had it, you were privy to it. Everybody was sharing. But once we moved into the agricultural revolution, it was more of my family and I had to protect my family. So people started having big families. They started having plots of their own land. Once they learned that you can grow your own food and they started having farms. And with that came fighting and, and doing and using weapons to protect their weapons against other people to protect their cattle and their crop. So the agricultural revolution birthed violence also out of the, Agricultural revolution uh, birthed the barter system, which led to the invention of money. So as societies and economies continued to grow, it became more difficult to control and regulate the masses. So what happened next? They developed laws to regulate how people behave and systems of authority to ensure that they obeyed. And so how did they get the masses to buy in? They invented a religion that promotes their vision and instills the principles that's in support of the society. So when Donovan spoke earlier about change, everything is changing in this book. And like in the book Sapiens, we seem like we're going back to the cognitive hunter-gatherer or agricultural era. And Lauren is at the genesis of this new era. Hell, she's talking about uh, getting their plot of land, uh, growing their own uh, crop, raising their own rabbits, you know, doing all of this. So it's kind of cool because she's in a perfect position to promote her new religion, Earthseed, and her observation of God. In a sense, if things go the way Lauren envisioned, a whole new society will be formed out of her imagination. That's a whole lot to happen in between. Man. That, and it's so crazy that you say it like that. Cause like I'm, cause I finished this, the second book and it's like, in, it's further in the future. And I'm like, wow, this is how it all started. Like with, with this, like this idea, like, but so much and it. It's so crazy. Like how she kind of ties it all together. Cause like so much comes out of all of these tragedies that they go through. So you have like, okay, so what are her tragedies? Her, she, she, okay, she's one, she's born to this, uh, she got a drug addicted mom because that's how she got this ability, quote unquote, um, to feel everybody's pain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she has a stepmother, but like 
they really they're kind of at odds like they're close but they ain't like but so close and i mean she's the closer her, her siblings um but i think like her stepmom kind of like um what's his name keith she was it was kind of like her favorite like her baby and so she got that so she's got the vying for attention from her dad she's got just adolescent just regular adolescent stuff going on with boys and just school stuff and like like think about their every day their every day is like okay we're getting on our bikes we got to have these guns we got to ride around in a group (laughs) don't look at nobody because you might get killed it's real rules her daddy her daddy is the damn man Whole, the preacher man with the guns and shit. Yeah, don't really know if he want her to have guns, but she she's like, yo, I gotta be able to tool up around this motherfucker. And one day he just don't come back. How about so that? Like, how about that, Mister Protector ass? Got everything under control because you can talk to God ass. Didn't even come back one day. Mm-hmm. So the shit just be happening. But that was his whole point. He was saying, "You never know what could happen. Anybody can get it. So we, you can never be over prepared. You gotta prepared. be prepared. You gotta be prepared. You can't. And 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 it got him. It, but think yeah. about how when she talked about being prepared, they looked at her like she was crazy. Like, what's wrong with this girl? What are you talking about? People breaking in here. And it's kind of like we, had we, a how we look at uh, preppers and right. doomsday people. Right. Like yeah. the fuck. Come on. I mean, she was really in tune with the change." What I thought was interesting, Donovan, okay, so it's a coming-of-age story, and I'm just being nasty hard, but that chick was fucking. She was fucking all through the story. It's a whole lot of fucking in this story. Yeah, I to wanted be, to talk about that, too. <laughs> I to wanted to talk That's another layer story. in it is woman, uh, women empowerment. It's a you whole know, other aspect of women her empowerment. Outlet. Exactly. Sex her- was her outlet. So imagine, like, the book was <laughs> her between 15 and 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And you know, and sex was like liberating to her because of her condition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a lot of that. It was liberating because of her condition. <laughs> I mean, she well, was was like, that's right. what she said about sex. She no, she never said that. <laughs> she ain't say liberating, but but this chick went from trying to you know she was cross dressing for her survival because violence yeah. is an issue, so she tried to put, you know look like a man. I'm about to read what she said. She said, I'm supposed to share pleasure and pain, but there isn't much pleasure around these days. About the only pleasure I found that I enjoy sharing is sex. Right. Because of the other stuff that's going on. Wouldn't you rather have that than all that other stuff that's happening? She got caught fucking she like 12. In the bushes. In the bushes. She was just like, yo, we was 12. Let's go get just it. fucking Curtis. Fucking Curtis. <laughs> she told Curtis to wear some rubbers because I don't want to bring no kids into this crazy-ass world. Um, I refuse to get pregnant, but give me that shit. I'm fast. She was mad when she was cross-dressing. Like, Damn, I want that dick. I'm up here acting like a man. I need me some dick. He was like, man, you know what? I could fuck this old man. He's only one year younger than my daddy. At least he ain't my daddy age. And I like the way he keep up his his, uh, keep his salt beard. and pepper beard. I'm absolutely positive that when this woman wrote this book, she was not thinking anybody was going to take it like that. It's a lot. 
happening in the store. And we could be focusing on the fact that (laughs) Americans feel safe in their gated neighborhoods and Americans feel safe because they've made it to a particular status in life. And they want to keep the riffraff out. But instead, we're talking about fucking. She was talking about it. I wouldn't be talking about yeah, it if it wasn't. It's, we let the it's, content drive. It's the salt and pepper on the that meal. That jumped out to me, too. It's the salt. Of course, because that's all y'all want to talk about. But it's the salt and pepper on the meal. I mean, could I, I could just give you salt and pepper for dinner. Would you like that? It was a big deal. It kept coming up. I mean, it's a big deal to have salt and pepper on your food. You don't want it if it's not seasoned. I mean, I think that's what makes it a real story, though, right? It is I a mean, real story, but it also has <laughs> really good details and a lot of representation for what is actually happening in America right now. And I, think, I think the sex was important, too, because how it was changing the relationships within a tribe. She was like, damn, she fucking that nigga? I got to keep my eye on them. Well, people started to... That's what people do. They congregate towards people that they are attracted to, and then they begin their own. I, I think at one point she may it became have been a deal. Thre- well, it was because everybody they had to watch the kids while everybody go off and fuck. Get up, get up, get up, get up. It happened. It's that did happen. Warning <laughs> to God damn it. What's up with you? You playing some more drink? So. In this particular story, when we are talking about how we can look at things that were happening that show how the society was out of control, and as Harvey was talking about things from the past, which happened to be our past, too, because of the way this story is written, and it was interesting. Just like I said, I like those stories that come up when you can talk about the things that happen in your era so the parents are talking to them about things that we did and things that we yeah. took for granted that were just normal things. Like dogs actually being pets? Dogs mm-hmm. being pets. Yes, dogs, dogs were not pets. pets. Dogs were predators back then. I mean, mm-hmm. during that time, they were hunting babies and eating corpses and, and eating their dogs. arms. They and it was being dogs. Yeah. Was you even dogs. had people and teenage kids who were uh, cannibals. cannibals. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the parents talking to their children about a sane society. And when they were talking about the election of the president and Mm -hmm. they were sitting around talking about politics. And And how the police used to actually, you could trust them. How you used to be able to trust the police. Yeah. And so as we are going on, we're going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Is this what we headed into? Because we know what corrupt police officers are all about. Now, all of this is coming out of a journal from a 15-year-old who's leading a group of people who is indoctrinating them into her made-up belief system that she's able to articulate and convey and convince people to listen to her. And well, the way she, she kept writes. a secret. Yeah, she had but been it, yeah. keeping it a secret for a long time. So it kind of evolved into yeah. her wanting to develop this. this. And it's through experience, too. Yes. Um, because when this book, the, the bulk of this book, I believe, was telling the story of living behind the wall. 
I thought this story was going to end with her living behind the wall. I thought maybe she and Curtis would get married. And I don't know. I was you looking had to think for that some... in the beginning of the book. Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. The, the, the most of the book was going in that direction. And even though she was preparing for something and you knew that it was going to climax into something else, I really just was looking for this happy ending. All right, Teresa about to read another idea of her jotting down her definition of God. She's and every time she observes something new, she writes down in her journal and she calls it Earth Seed. Read that. God is power, infinite, irresistible, inexorable, indifferent, and yet God is pliable. Trickster, teacher, chaos, clay. God exists to be shaped. God is change. Earthseed. She defines God as change. And what is more pervasive than change? And that's God. Either you prepare for it and you shape it into what you want it to be, or you just sit down and let it happen and let, let it hit you like a ton of bricks. But one thing is going to happen, and there's one inevitable in life, is going to be change. So in the beginning of the book, she talks about the belief that Albert Einstein has, and I believe Benjamin Franklin shares, is called uh, Deus. And that's a belief that there is a God, there is a higher power, but he's not a personal God. So she talks about that, but she takes that idea and she takes her Christianity and she redefines it. And she's saying, this can't be God because it doesn't apply now. So God is malleable. This earth seed is a cult. So this book is about this girl and her journal entries. She's 18 years old. She's leading a group of people to the promised land up north. She's coming from south up north. Every now and then, she passes out. But they're on the West Coast. Listen where I'm going with this. No, she's from, I know, on the West Coast, but she's going from South West Coast up to the North, to the Seattle, Washington area. Most of the time when we say South to North, we're thinking on the East Side. But here's the parallel. And then sometimes she passes out. Who does that sound like? Harriet Tubman. A little Harriet Tubman. I was like, she's putting everything into this. Little Moses. A little Moses. They're trying to escape to Canada. Yes. There's a civil war going on. She's dressed like a man, but she has more poise, emotional, and emotional intelligence than a man of her father's age. She got to. Think about that. She's a woman dressed like a man for protection, and she can use the she's gun and has more survival skills than anybody that she's with. She like she about that lifestyle. She's a, she like Lauren Hill. Well, that's because like there's a <laughs> there's a inherent danger to being a woman. Generally, like most of the violence on this planet is committed against women. Committed committed against non-white women, and she's all of these. So like she has to put on something, some type of uh, shielding, in order to survive, in order to kind of get through. Because um, if she don't. She's going to get killed. She's going to get raped. She's going to get stabbed. She's going to get robbed. All of these things can happen. I mean, and all of these things can happen to a man as well, but 
It's not as likely. I mean, man, yeah. It's a, it's a cold world they living in, man, outside the walls. And, and the fact that she knew that you couldn't have safety behind the walls. You know, and, and that's, that's, it's interesting. She knew that you can have safety behind the walls, but she didn't want to bring a child into that world. I remember thinking that I didn't want to bring a child into the world as if I had some real control over that. That's something you really don't have a lot of control over. You can be, you can be preventative, but anyway, the idea that it's never a good time to do certain things, but yet being open and understanding that change is still happening. That's another conflict I think we have as people sometimes. Like whether how to move forward, knowing that you gotta move forward. What what are you to enjoy? And life, I mean, it's it's babies in this story. You know, it's people popping up with babies and there's the question of are these people liability? You know, it reminded me a lot of the walking dead, you know. Definitely. This, it, I don't know if The Walking Dead, I mean, it sounds like The Walking Dead was influenced by this story. It's, Could be, yeah, because it's, it's just that whole, like, it's just that whole question of, is it ever the right time to bring a child in the world? Because the world is always kind of like a horrible place. Yeah. Was it Rick Souls? I think that was his name, Rick, and uh, um, the lead character in, in The Walking Dead. That would be Lauren. You know, that would be Lauren's character. The story gets focused on one family. So in in The Walking Dead, is it Rick Grimes? Yeah, I think that's his name, Rick Grimes. You know, Rick Rick is Rick's story and his family survival become like what he lives for and his passion is what makes other people follow him. That's kind of what happens with with Lauren. You know, she doesn't become the leader because she's out contesting people to follow her she's becoming the leader because people see her passion and her lifestyle and how she's dealing with things it's producing survival results you know and so she's 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 a she's a earned leader she's not someone who's like hey follow me i got a bright idea Mm -hmm. you know the way we see god we're able to worship god from a safe and content point of view you know, you go to church. If you do these good things, then God will bless you. All you have to do is, you know, live right, believe in God, put him head, head of your life, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, able, it allows you to look at people who are surviving and look at them as a bad person. But this book kind of flips it. You go from living a cushy life to survival mode. Now you're looking at it from a different point of view. You're looking at people like, look, if I don't kill them, they're going to kill me. So it just puts you in a different position. Does that mean I don't believe in God no more or God doesn't protect me anymore now that things have changed because that God that I started out believing in is no longer relevant? A victim of God may, through learning, adaptation, become a partner of God. A victim of God may, through forethought and planning, become a shape of God. Or a victim of God may, through short-sightedness and fear, remain God's victim. God's plaything, God's prey. So what you going to do? You going to change or you going to be stuck in the same? 
I thought that was profound. And I thought it was profound how she talked about the book of Job in the Bible and how God just used Job like a little brother and his little play toys. Mm-hmm. So she was, she, she was questioning her dad when she had her dad brain. I'm going through that in my house. My daughter's questioning me, but she has my personality. Even though it might be opposite and different things are influencing it, it's the same energy. Jesus. Man, I saw um, in Earthseed um, a lot of parallels to my and, you know, the ancient Egyptian comedic philosophy that governed the planet and gave birth to what we now understand as religion and in a, in its own sense of order. And this idea of reciprocity and this idea of people understanding consequences and balance, like when those things get disrupted, you're going to have chaos. And, and that's the world that she's living in is this world where this, this humanity has been disrupted. Well, I, know that this resonates with you, Lennon, and you like that aspect. But in this book, I see Earthseed as the driving force behind the book, but not the story. Um, There's so much more to this book that is the story that is not Earthseed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a zombie tale. The apocalypse. <laughs> that story is deep. Right. And if you look at the totality of the book, Earthseed is the, is the background. It's still it's a driving force, but it's the background to a big story. When they, they was faced with the decision on whether to buy a gun or buy food. And... What's his name? Ben Coley. Ben Coley. Ben Coley looked at them and said, look, you only need food if you're alive. So, look, we need to get this gun <laughs> to stay alive because this food ain't going to do us no good if we can't be alive. Ben Coley. And that was deep G. to me. That little one little sentence was very deep to me when he said that. So, you're right. This the book is playing with a lot girl. of different titles and some subtitles. Should have set Ben Coley up. Ain't nobody worry about age no more, man. Get a get in that thing. I'm sorry, Chase. <laughs> but they both had condoms. He bought some and she bought and some. And they both pulled them out at the same time and they laughed like, you, you. Yeah! <laughs> 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 All right, let's, let's get back to it. It's <laughs> only 17. 17. That's a really freak, man. <laughs> But, um, man, this book is very interesting. You know what else I thought it was interesting? I thought What's it was that interesting that it was useful uh, how books became very useful to them. And all those things she had to carry on her back to travel all those miles, she still thought it was important to purchase some books at the store. And her dad gave that her this deep. book of the Native Americans and how they survived and that's how they came up with the acorn bread. Mm-hmm. They were saying that the wheat and the rye bread cost too much. You can make bread out of acorns. And there's a lot of oak trees around here. And how resourceful they were. 
But only she possessed that knowledge because she was getting a lot of people who couldn't read. Exactly. And it's easy to convert people to your religion if they can't read because they have to trust what you are reading to them out of the book of the living. Picked up on that as well. Right. What it say? What it say? Tell me what it say. Yeah, they couldn't. Some of them couldn't read it because they saw no value in it, or they weren't allowed to learn to read or write. And that too. I mean, what kind of conditions can you learn in when you have to ride a bike with a gun to school every day, facing rapists, murderers, cannibals, dogs? Right, because you have decided that you're going to do everything within these walls, and she just happened to have been inside some walls that were good for the moment. They had a community inside and she actually learned everything that she knows from her dad, including the religion that she transformed into earth seed. It just, it was the change that she needed, but he prepared her well to go out and be a survivor. She was more of a leader than I am by far. I was learning some leadership things from her and her emotional intelligence and how she was thinking about how she wanted the conversation to go with these adults and, and how she was just, you know, patient and poised. Even when people were uncomfortable and they were a little uh, sketchy about her and them and how she would talk to them and put them at ease. I just thought that that was, uh, I mean, she I was thought, a, she was a bit ahead of her time to be. I thought Obama did that, went. and I would be mad at Obama for doing that so well. And to your point, I mean, this character <laughs> is doing the Obama thing. I mean, she she can know how not piss off the crowd and still make a point. It's pretty awesome. It's very awesome. And and to your point, Lenny, it's I think that's one of the jewels from it. You know that you can read a book like this and do a self-reflection on your own behavior, your own leadership style, your own communication skills. Is it getting you the outcome you want through through reading something that's fiction that takes you to another dimension, as Donovan said earlier? I think it's dope. Yeah, and how she thought steps and steps ahead on all kinds of situations. For instance, that one time when she heard, um, she heard, I think, Tori getting attacked. And uh, and and they all got grabbed their guns and they ran over there. And she said, "Stop!" She sent a few of them that way, and she made some of them stay back. And they were upset, but she made them stay back because she said, "You know what? I don't know this guy Maury. Like it, it was Maury, Maury and Doe." She said, "I don't really know him like that. I don't know if this is a setup where they causing the uh, a deflection over here so they can come in and take our stuff." She just she was a thinker. And it never turned off. And I think that's how she was attractive to, to Ben Coley because Ben Coley was a doctor. He was educated and well thought. So they were kind of evenly yoked. But he was like 54 and she was like 17, though. You know, this survival mode here. Yeah, you know. It was slam pickings out there. Yeah. I mean, if you read the Bible a lot, uh, his daughters tried to have babies with, with their daddy. You know, after Solomon Gomorrah, they got him drunk. So, um, you know, it is what it is. This this kind of going back in time. 
That's but man, like. this book, I I like this one. I did too. I didn't I didn't know it was gonna take that turn. Well, the second story, the second story gets really dark though. Like I thought this was dark. Like the future get way bit worse. Cause it stole from like her daughter's perspective. And she had a daughter with uh with Ben Coley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they they should kind of turn out all right though. Like they're like, oh, they got a whole fucking community, got a daughter. They I'm wearing all man. white, dressing like Kanye Sunday you know, Sunday's I, best. I, they were still kind of dirty, but you know they didn't have to like. They was growing their own food, so they had to go out and do shit like they used to. Like they just like we can just chill where we at. We we ain't gotta be out there fighting and shit. We we got our guns, we got our fucking food and water. We good, you know. We got a little... You know, one of the glitches in the story that I, I was thinking about? What's that? I was thinking about how much ammunition do they have to how go out there? How much do we have in this dystopian future where everybody got to get it? That's what I'm saying, dog. Yeah, that's what I was like. How you got... Dead, how, they making bullets. Yeah, how much ammunition do you have where you can go out and go gun, you know, <laughs> target practice dead, and all the time? Bullets. They 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 re, they When they were them kids, shares. you mean? Yeah. When she was... But they had money. But everybody, but, but mean, the world, world all, you yeah, know, the, the world is kind of crazy. Scary. Well, they were they were expensive, but they were still making. I mean, things are still happening in the world, right? Because remember, they they're still rich levels? people, mm-hmm. and these rich people have servants still in their homes. Yeah, getting and out they helicopters, have, right? So and they have still- guns, and so things are still working. The world is just out of order. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot more. That's why it seems so real. The the Sam Waltons got bigger, and the Teresas and Lennies got smaller. Yeah, y'all y'all would be the Bankoles in the story. Y'all that would yeah, because yeah, we yeah, y'all middle we, class, y'all upper middle class. So yeah, yeah, we were. It was yeah. We we was. Where do we <laughs> we'll live? In Orlando and um, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. Orlando. Yeah. 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 Economic level. That's 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 you know they they doing well. They college educated. You know that's where y'all that's where y'all would be at. Behind that wall, city, y'all wouldn't have to worry about being in them streets burning people up. Yeah, until uh, <laughs> things get closer and the the ball yeah. heads jump over the fence. Exactly. Then then we walking. Exactly. Yeah. But Sam this. Walton not walking. Yeah. Sam Walton has guards. Man, yes. think about think about the ball heads though, and the and the cannibals. They in a better position to survive than the rest of the people. Why? They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> but that doesn't make them in a better position to survive. Yeah, that just gives like... them a better perspective of surviving because they don't care. And and they're not constantly living with anxiety. Well, until they're living with anxiety. Oh, until no, they, until they're dead. Until they wake up with a motherfucker eating off their leg. Roasting yeah. shit. They're not going to wake up. They, you're going to either live or die. They're pissing down their leg when somebody's got a pistol to their head. Baby, I don't even think they're really bad. They're zoned out. Nigga, they high. But they high all the time. They high. You never had that fresh roast to leg. Yeah, they come down. Yeah. <laughs> they crash. Then they get high again. But the but the crazy thing is most of those kids was rich. Like most of the wait a minute, maybe y'all don't know that. I'm not don't forget I said that. 
But yeah, I mean, they I I can see that because you got those kids who just nah, you know, mm-hmm. we know those types. Yeah, They're like they, you're like, what's your why? Why are you even like that? What what's your deal? <laughs> and then um, what's you know, deal? the what's ones who were mad. You know, they were like they down to the rich people, and they wanted they were that was their cause. Mm-hmm. We take from the rich and give to the poor. That was another thing that was running through. So people were not they didn't look at them in a bad way because they felt like they were doing a service. You know, the people were walking around saying, "Ooh, thank you. I'm glad they came and burned this place down and killed all these people. Now we get to take their shoes." <laughs> Don't you think a religion was needed so everybody can be on the same, had the same ideas about life? You need a code. I wouldn't say a religion, but yeah, you do need a code. You need you need a central idea. Without that, it's like everybody's all over the place. I need to teach you to think like this and have these as your morals, yeah. so I can trust you. It's necessary. But That's what I was don't thinking. Always come from religion. I mean, but it's still it's it's a it's a deep moral belief. I mean, it, you don't have to call it religion, but it's a deep moral belief that most people share. I mean, well, in America, we is citizenship. Well, I patriotism. Think, I, I think when you, if you take it from the standpoint of what Donovan's saying, and if you try to canonize empathy and turn that into a practice, you know, a practice of recognizing empathy, you know, that's deep. I think. I think to your, your other question, though, you know, what I man, I think humanity requires religion and belief system. It's part of humanity because you gotta you gotta kind of believe in something but but what what becomes problematic is how how they get that can be used as tools and that becomes the issue how one presents one to another i mean there was a a time period in real human history where people didn't argue over religion where it was understood that everybody had a story that reflected their kinship and their kinfolk, and that when you travel, you would come in contact with another story. So there was no, there was no arguing over the validity of story or whose story was right. I think that's where man in the modern era has just got fucking stupid. When you take that aspect of the story as to why you got to believe in it, why you got to know it, and then you're fighting over something that is, you completely missed the point. It's in human nature to be opportunistic. And so if the religion reflects your views and you get to change it and manipulate it to fit you, I think we all will be corrupt by that. What's that saying? Uh, absolute power is absolute corrupt. Your power corrupts absolutely. A power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Again, without empathy, you know what I'm saying? No, empathy for humans is 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 universal, is what we hope for. That was the argument that Dr. King and Malcolm X was arguing over, you know, whether or not you could play into someone's moral fabric. And and Malcolm was like, nah man, these motherfuckers are zombies, dog. They don't give a fuck about how you feel. They lie to themselves. They didn't convince themselves you can't float and all kinds of weird shit. They don't. You can't feel. They don't feel your pain. 
Mm-hmm. And that's but that's why the, they don't feel your pain because it's it serves them not to feel your pain. But that's they the on point, top. though. That's the that's the point. I mean, so, that's how you stay on top, right? And so that that's that that's the issue of this conversation. You have to be empathetic. You have to be exactly reverse empathy. Empathetic. You have to be right. um, because if you're empathetic, then you will share yours. And then you can't have the, right. the exactly. ten room and the and the eight cars. You get right. down to two cars. Absolutely. I can't just beat you up and rob you because you right. can't have a, a yacht. You down to a regular boat. That's the point. So, it's so greed. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I it's, think it's human nature, though. It doesn't have to. It, I'm gonna tell you something, man. My wife told me this. She said, "A woman will never go backwards." In terms of lifestyle, they say yeah. she'll give up a lot of things, but she won't go backwards, right? And I don't think that's just women. I just think that's human nature. What I say? You said a woman would never go backwards in lifestyle. I said that. Yeah, you told me that a <laughs> long time ago when I first started dating you. And... Teresa and I got a parallel in this book too. Mm-hmm. Keith, the ran the ready got itself up. <laughs> 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 Got he said, I ain't about to be letting daddy beat beat on me. Fuck this money for you, mama. Don't give it to daddy. This money for you, mama. Here, hey, everybody, I'm going to give everybody some money. Don't give this shit to daddy like daddy gives fuck. Daddy fucking gone, nigga. You, you wait till daddy ain't even at the house before you come home. Well, that's a person. Um, and she represented that person. That person, shoot, that was... Big Meech and BMF. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> <laughs> Coming home when daddy ain't at home. Yeah, uh, but his daddy ain't jump on him. That's a person. His, his daddy beat him. Let me tell you. Yes, his daddy did jump daddy on him. His and his daddy ass. was, you know. His, not, in, not in BMF? Yeah, his oh. mama was holding him. Yes, he did. And his mama was holding him back. He was like, and he, get up my Dog, Keith left the house on Sunday. And came back on Thursday like he ain't never been nowhere. They out looking for him, risking their lives, going beyond the walls. Well, he and just... the only reason they did that was because the mama. <laughs> the daddy no. was starting to feel bad for him. Well. That was, that was one of the things that was good about the book was it was a lot of characters. Yeah. And she gave the characters enough attention for you to recognize this them as being contributors to the story. Mm-hmm. That's why I keep saying, you know, Earthsea was the driving force, but this book was, it was a book, not just, it was not just about religion. The religion was, it was a, a driving force, but not the main focus. It was, it drove. And with Keith, the mom, you know, that was, that showed a whole different relationship it showed the development between you know how a mom does look at the son and how the father felt like you know I have to because if I don't then he's never gonna have the same relationship with his wife his Mm. marriage would have been over and Keith never took responsibility for anything never did like ever Mm. you know I, I there's like two things that I'm I'm blessed that I'm not born with that some people are born with and born with um, with the intrinsic trait of being lazy and born with the intrinsic trait of being mentally slow and not being able to process and put things together fast enough. I think that Keith, 
Girl, shut up, man. Hey, dog, since my wife... <laughs> my wife got the IQ of 155 and I got the IQ of 125. She think I'm dumb because she... <laughs> Cause she got a anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I think Keith struggles mentally, oh. and his mother coddled him, so he he just just cave in. He was just who he was. He yeah, had he wasn't character a flaws. He wasn't. He wanted a to be more than what he was, and he didn't want to wait. He didn't want to go through the process. And yeah. his dad was trying to take him through a process. And he refused to be processed. So he took it upon himself to move. And it got him killed. I was watching this presentation on YouTube um, called Developing Positive Self-Images in Black Children by Jawanza Kajufu. And he said something that really jumped out at me that, that's relevant to what we're talking about. He says, as parents, we can control the process, but not the results. So whatever you do after the process or whatever you take from this and how you implement it, I have no control of that. The only thing I can control is the process. And I can sleep well at night with that. Amen. And I think that's how his daddy felt. But yeah, um, but that it was he was at peace with that. It was foreshadowing of that when he was young, he would just do dumb stuff. Mm -hmm. And his sister would say he was just a terror and a dumb. I mean, he used to make her bleed. He wasn't a dummy. He just was he was selfish and he wanted what he wanted. He used to make her bleed because he knew that she was hyper empathetic. And he would make her bleed on purpose. But the mother couldn't even see that because that was her baby boy or her favorite son. And, you know, we can talk about the relationship between mothers and sons. That was her first son with his... Maybe it might have been, but that's, you know, and it made her feel some type of way. And mothers and sons and Mm -hmm. fathers and daughters... And the way that the father looked at Lauren and the way that she looked at Keith and the butting of heads of that and how people hold on to stuff. And then they start blurting out things that are true, but they don't mean it in that way. So that was all happening. Mm. Yeah. So that was a a story within the story on child rearing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fact that he wanted... And he was jealous because the father saw a lot in his daughter. And he always tried to pull it out of her. And y'all kind of painted him a little like I didn't see him earlier. But he believed everything that his daughter was saying. He just knew that you can't panic people. And he was telling her, look. You can do all of these things, you know, be prepared. Here's the books, pack your stuff, have it ready, but don't make the people panic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta break it to them easy. Mm-hmm. Give it to them in a way that is palatable. You gotta give it to them in a pill pocket. In a pill pocket. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think um I think we did a really good job in in this book. I really enjoyed the book. Uh Donovan, you're gonna rate this book last because you picked this book. I you know, I think I never went first, but I go first this time. I think that if I had to rate this book one out of ten, I never probably do this. This book is a ten. Because every time I think about it, and every time I go back to it, it was never, it was never a point in this book where it, where it was dragging. It was always evolving. She was always introducing new things and disguising them as other things. So it was almost like a historical piece. It was a dystopia, and then at the end, there was a little hope for a utopia once they made it to where they went to. But uh, I've never been so excited. And so connected to such a dark story like this. So I give this book a 10. Donovan, you nailed it with this one, buddy. And I can't wait to read the uh, the parable of the talents, the, the follow-up to this book. Tell him to put some respect on your name, Donovan. <laughs> put some respect on my name. I mean, I'm just saying. Respect on my name. Teresa. <laughs> I'm going to give it a 10. I think I gave... The Water Dancer at 10, too. And yeah, I, you did. I like, I mean, the story and the way, the writing. Yeah, a 10. I enjoyed it. This was way better than The Water Dancer to me. Not, wait a minute. Not The Water Dancer. The Other Slave Book. Oh, The Sweetness of Water. There we go. Oh, and I picked that one. Nathan but you made, you made me. So, yes, I give it a 10. The same thing. The way I was able to get lost in the story and put myself into the book as if I was walking with them, I enjoyed the book. Ten. Dr. Harvey Hinton, the third. Oh, yeah, it's a ten. It's nothing. Awesome, awesome story. Um, Very easy to visualize. Very easy to get lost in, as Teresa said, but very easy to visualize. I mean, you know, very vivid storytelling. Um, awesome perspective. I, you know, I, I'm Earthsea. I appreciate it, Earthsea. And Donovan, before I go to you, I, I do want to say this, and Teresa brought this up. This book has so many things and so many moving parts it's easy to get caught up on one thing that jumps out to you. That's what makes us all unique in our different point of views. You know, what jumped out, what jumps out to Harvey and what spoke to Harvey was different from what spoke to me. It was her struggle with religion that, that spoke to me. You know, I, I, I connected with that. You know, Teresa may have connected with something different. And uh, Donovan may have connected with something different. And that's the beauty of this book because they all hold the same weight and it all just ties in. She's a great storyteller. With that being said, Donovan, you picked this book. You was the mastermind behind this book. You had, in in terms of getting, introducing it to the Bruh's bookshelf, because I would have never looked that way. Okay. So with that being said, rate this book one through 10. Um, I'd give it a, oh, I give it a 10. 
I give it a ten. Um, and like to your point, yeah, there there Man, there are the a lot of different ever. layers and things that she touched on. Um, like I think that I thought the hyper empathy thing was like a really fascinating part of the story because it's like, like that's kind of like the the plague of the nation, really. Like, why can't we feel each other's pain? Like, why can't I empathize with you? Because like, since nobody can empathize with each other, anybody listen to each other, so we got to burn the planet now. Um, and I I, I like her. Um, I like this theme of trying to redefine or trying to define and shape what your, um, I don't know what your future is going to be, what your forever is going to be. Cause that's kind of what the earth seed is. It's something that you plant so that it grows into something else. Um, so yeah, I, I give it a, a 10. You got to read the second book though. I want to read yeah, I'm this. I'm definitely going to read the second book. I need to go ahead and start that tomorrow. Yeah, the power of the uh, talents. Yeah. Well, our next book that we're going to be reviewing on the Bros Bookshelf is Atomic Habits. I want to end on this. God is change. And in the end, God prevails. But there's hope in understanding the nature of God. Not punishing or jealous, but infinitely malleable. There's comfort in realizing that everyone and everything yields to God. There's power in knowing that God can be focused, diverted, shaped by anyone and all. But there's no power in having strength and brains and yet waiting for God to fix things for you or take revenge for you. You know that. You knew it when you took your family and got the hell out of your boss's house. God will shape us all every day of our lives. Best to understand that and return the effort. Shape God. This was a deep book. I enjoyed it. Every minute of it. And with that being said, thank you for listening to the Bros Bookshelf. Please remember to click subscribe, give us a five-star rating, share with your friends. And join us on the next podcast episode as we review Atomic Habits by James Clear. Thank you.